On the Data Nuts podcast today, we have a chat with VMware, today's sponsor, about app defense. According to VMware, app defense is, quote, a new security solution for protecting applications running in virtualized and cloud environments. Rather than chasing after threats, app defense understands how applications are supposed to work and monitors for changes to that intended state that indicate a threat. When a threat is detected, app defense automatically responds, end quote. Stay tuned while we talk security here on the Data Nuts podcast. At packetpushers.net, you can find this and all of our Data Nuts shows about infrastructure engineering, or just search for Data Nuts, spelled like astronauts, in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us at Data Nuts underscore show on the Twitters. I am Chris Wall at Chris Wall on the Twitters, and with me is my ultra-secure co-host, Ethan Banks. He's at EC Banks on the Twitters, and he defends his apps with a heavily-armed ninja standing guard at the data center door. So before we kick off here, I want to introduce our special guest today. He's the SVP of Security Products at VMware, Tom Korn. Say hello. Welcome to the show. Who are you? What do you do? Thank you for having me. As you mentioned, I run security products at VMware. So I drive uh, VMware's overall strategy in terms of what we do in the area of security. I also uh, build some of the new security technologies and security products that we're bringing to market. Awesome. And that, that makes a good intro to starting at the top and really just, hey, what's going on with security? Because it's all over social media. You see all sorts of issues with ransomware and threats. And it just feels like it's trying to catch grains of sand with your hands. It just seems everyone's spending money. There's lots of losses going on. Kind of what's your take on the market right now? Well, you know, the growth in security spend is outpacing growth in IT overall for quite some time. The only thing growing faster than security spend is security losses. So it's it's one of these markets that is a bit of an enigma. We seem to be spending more and more, and it doesn't seem like we're getting ahead of the problem. And in fairness, security is always an asymmetric battle. You know, defense is always harder than offense, but there are some fundamental things, I think, that are obstructing us from making us significant strides forward today. What is at the root of the problem? Because you think so often if you throw enough money at it, things do get better. But with security, that doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, you know, some of it, uh, and this part of our conclusion that sort of led us to start doing more in this area is, you know, at play is a bit of an architectural gap that makes it very difficult to get ahead of it. I mean, first of all, as a market, we're very heavily invested in trying to prevent infiltration. We're not as invested in how do we create more resilient environments. We're very invested in detection and finding threats and finding attacks. We're underinvested in how we shrink the attack surface in the first place. And at the root, I think, of a lot of that is not that folks don't understand they need to do those things. It's that they turn out to be very difficult to do. And part of that is an architectural gap between where we put security controls, which are networks, links, and endpoints, and what we're ultimately trying to protect which are applications and data. Those are orthogonal concepts, if you will. And you know, the best metaphor I've ever come up with to, to describe the problem is, if I'm trying to protect a, a company, a, a group of people, I put them all in one building. I create one skyscraper for the whole company. I put a guard at the front door of that building. And things like governing access into and out of the company, relatively straightforward. Finding things that might look weird in the lobby, relatively straightforward. But now take the people in that company and distribute them into buildings all over the city, right? They now occupy parts of floors of different buildings all over the city. 
first of all, the guard in that front door no longer governs access to that company. They govern access to a few of the people in that company. There's lots of other ways in. You fill the rest of the building with people from other companies. So now you've in that one building, you have part of the bank, but you also have uh, a TGI Fridays, a bar, a bowling alley, a clothing store, <laughs> right? And now what? Please. Right. So, so what looks weird in the lobby? Well, I don't know. Uh, that's hard to tell now. How do I govern access into that? And and, and that is a, it's a good metaphor for what's going on inside our data centers because applications are not monolithic stacks on a hunk of iron. They're distributed systems. They're pieces of software on different machines spread out over the data center that need to connect together. We commingle thousands of these all together. And as a result, it's very difficult to align security to what you're really protecting. And that architectural gap is really at the root of a lot of the issues. And it's very difficult to solve by just keep adding security controls. Oh, it, it used to be there was a perimeter and there was a trusted inside and and you had these different zones. Now that's all gone. There is no perimeter. There are no trusted zones anymore. And it goes back to exactly what you were saying, Tom, in my mind. The uh, apps are the things that you need to protect. And it's it's not as simple as endpoint security. It's so far beyond that now what the need is. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and to start putting this in more tangible technical terms, right? Picture what we do. We have a relatively flat network. We deploy a whole bunch of applications. From a security perspective, we try to compartmentalize and, say, align, say, network controls. All right. So how do we do it? We go about it from an infrastructure standpoint, right? We say, these are all my uh, web servers. I'll put them all together. These are all my database servers, my app servers, my storage servers. All right. Let's put a bunch of firewalls on those. Let's a whole bunch of logical policies. Web servers should never talk to storage servers. App servers should only talk to database servers over certain ports and protocols. All right. It's security theater. Because first of all, if any of machine gets attacked, we've commingled components from lots of applications in every segment. So one web server falls, I can I can attack other web servers. Secondly, Application components have to talk to each other. So the web server of application one have to talk to the app server of application one. It doesn't stop the attacker from moving laterally. Now think of policy complexity. You know, you stick a firewall or whatever in, in front of a, a group of web servers. It has to have all the policies for every application represented in that segment, right? It's got 30,000 rules. When was the last time anyone removed one of those policies from the firewall? It's crazy because it's like a game of Jenga. These are examples of the implications of trying to have security that's all aligned to an infrastructure model when what we're really trying to protect are applications and applications are distributed systems. It's a broken model. Fair enough. And honestly, when you, Tom, as you're talking about that architectural model, you're making my teeth itch having lived that life. So VMware stepping in into the security market. I don't traditionally think of you as a security player. Definitely spent a lot of time working with the you know, the vSphere realm of things and NSX, which, which has kind of smacks along those lines. But what's the play here? What part of the security problem is VMware focused on when it comes to security? Well, you know, it's funny. I was at RSA for many years. I was the chief strategy officer there and I led a lot of the technology research there. And, you know, we had a lot of discussions with uh, Pat Gelsinger, who runs VMware, and actually had, uh, had been a, a senior executive of the EMC side prior to that. There's a lot of these questions of, is there a way to leverage virtualization to secure things? Because we talked a lot about security. It can't just be a bolt-on thing. It needs to be built in or architected in. And how do you do that? 
And um, as we started to pull on that thread, the interesting thing is that virtualization is this increasingly ubiquitous abstraction layer that sits in between the infrastructure and the applications running on top of it. It's sort of a, a map that connects the dots. It understands these various components and what's running and how they connect, but it's abstracted from the infrastructure and it opens up a whole bunch of really, there's a bunch of unique properties of that. What was fascinating in that discussion was, you know, when you talk about cloud outside of the area of security, you say, all right, well, this, this has a whole bunch of unique properties and hey, I could really rethink how I build applications or how I manage IT or how I build out and scale data centers, right? When it comes to security, the question was, well, all right, and then how do I secure it? Which is a fair question, but it's sort of missing the opportunity to ask the same sets of questions, like these unique properties. Could I use these properties to rethink how I do security? Properties like from the virtualization layer, you have a separate trust domain of which you can watch workloads from. So you can see what's running. From the virtualization layer, you can see anything that was ever provisioned to that in the first place. You have a sense of intended state and also run state. From the virtualization layer, you can implement certain visibility and control from a separate trust domain than the guest. So you can't easily be turned off or manipulated. From the virtualization layer, everything is automatable. So the ability to automate responses, a rich set of responses, not just blocking, is suddenly very doable. So there's a whole bunch of properties that could allow us to rethink and perhaps none more significant than understanding the, the application and its relationship to the infrastructure. What's running? How does it communicate? That is really, really, really powerful. So you mentioned NSX. A lot of what NSX was doing is saying, hey, we could compartmentalize components that make up an application and create an isolated sort of boundary around that application and use distributed firewalls to create an entryway to that so that we could create sort of a micro-segmented application and we could align controls to the application. And that, of course, really took off, right? And that's become a, a, a pretty substantial business. But the opportunities are, are, are much greater than that. And the move that we started investing in from an R&D perspective a few years ago was app defense and you know originally codenamed project goldilocks it was a project that was if we could leverage the innards of the hypervisor could we flip a lot of the security model on its head and really truly have a built-in model an architected in model for security so you said something really interesting in there, Tom, that I want to focus in on. Now, a lot of folks on the Packet Pushers Network have heard about how the NSX firewall works and how it shims in. And you kind of – it's not like part of the hypervisor, but it's near that layer. You're describing app defense as a part of the hypervisor? Well, so there's an element of app defense that actually leverages the inside of the hypervisor. So we were able to build some components into the hypervisor host – that we could use to protect our to get some unique visibility and to protect our position. Here's sort of the the, the essence of the problem of uh, so the separate trust domain, which is if you're good at security and you stop some stuff, eventually the attacker turns on you, right? If you keep stopping me, uh, I'll stop the thing that's stopping me. Now, the beauty of network security is that you operate in a separate trust domain in the attack surface. 
if I compromise the, the guest or the endpoint, the traffic going into and out of it can still be inspected. And the, the network security device still operates. It can be compromised too, but it's a separate attack. It's a separate trust domain. The problem with network security is it's hard to get context. So you have to reverse engineer anything you can get about the application, the user, et cetera. And it's very hard to do, and it's not always possible to do. Endpoint security has the opposite problem. It's got tons of context. You can see everything. You can see the user, you can see the application, you can see configuration changes. All the stuff to make smart security decisions are right there. The problem is you're sitting in the attack surface. You're sitting in the same trust domain as the attacker. So you can be turned off, you can be manipulated. And that, that happens, uh, you know, pretty sizable breaches. The Home Depot breach, as I understand it, they not only turned off AV, they disguised their malware as AV. It's one of the challenges <laughs> of sitting in endpoints. With the hypervisor, we have an opportunity to get the best of all worlds, where we can leverage components of the hypervisor from a, to, to uh, added layers of protection to our position and still have a lot of context in there. So App Defense does leverage the hypervisor in a very, very unique way. There are other components to the system, but that visibility of what's running and that ability to sort of protect our position, that actually leverages the hype. Filtering IPs and ports, I know a lot of network engineers think that's security, but that is really no longer security. It's not, I mean, that's not news. It's been that way for a while now. There is just so much, much more that's required to properly secure an infrastructure because of the way modern applications are architected. And you combine that with the sophistication of modern attacks and Looking at firewall rules with IPs and port filtering, that's just not cutting it anymore. It's not even close. Uh, so, Chris, what was on your mind? All right, stick with me for a bit. My thought is that security doesn't prevent software and solutions from being implemented in most cases. And and think about that. If you can't get your software to work, it's got a bug or it just you know isn't talking to something the way it should, you have to go fix it because it's not going to work until you do. But that's not necessarily the same model when it comes to security because the software will still work. It just has gaping holes in it or vulnerabilities or whatnot. And that's especially true if you don't know where or how you're vulnerable. So it's good to address security because it's not necessarily something that's going to block the engineering and the implementation, but it is something that's vital to making sure your application is compliant, secure, and not going to you know, screw over all your customers. Okay, Tom, lots of background on why AppDefense and a, and a taste of how AppDefense works and where it fits into the hypervisor infrastructure. Can, can we get more detail now on how AppDefense works? I'm kind of imagining there's a, you know an acquisition process with some licensing and uh, you're going to create a policy maybe, then AppDefense is going to do some inspection and react to things and uh, maybe it can, maybe there's a little machine learning in there and some reporting. Can, can you just talk through that 10,000 foot view, the, the, the big steps that uh, would take us through an, an app defense mm, life cycle, maybe. Sure. So three basic components. One function of it is to capture the intended state of the applications that are running on it. What that means is basically, like today in vCenter, you see a list of machines. How do you translate that into a list of applications or regulatory scopes divided into service tiers, divided into machines? And then for those tiers, like the web tier of our trading system, what are the components, software components, processes, and behaviors, processes communicating to different service tiers, et cetera. 
So how do you then paint that picture of the intended state of the applications? So one part of app defense is capturing in as automated a way as possible the intended state of applications that are running on your virtual infrastructure. Another component is then monitoring in real time what's running against that intended state. And then another component is having automated or orchestrated routines that can be triggered in response to something deviating from its intended state. And basically the policy sets are, hey, if what's running doesn't match what was intended to run, what do I want to do about it? For people that are networking folks and think in terms of firewalls and five tuple rules, this is not that. It doesn't sound like that at all. Yeah. I mean, if you were to, for example, create a process-based or process-level firewall, right, you could implement some of these concepts. The problem that you would often run into is at that level of granularity, you're often dealing with too much change in the environment. You'd be you know, bumping into uh, creating availability issues versus security issues. This is looking at what's running as well as what's communicating, but it's using that as a, a monitor against it. The response could be to block, much like a firewall do, but the response could be, I need to snapshot that machine, snapshot memory, and start doing full packet capture because I need to investigate that. I might need to put that machine into quarantine a lot of this is going to get used in a detect respond scenario. So there are some things like someone you know, overwriting the, the boot record that I might want to just stop outright automatically. And there are other things that I need to investigate that further. This accommodates that much richer set of responses. Where I draw a parallel is configuration management, but for security. This is the desired state you use some kind of declarative language to say this is what it should be. When it deviates, it then looks at the rules and say, what should I do? Or maybe it makes up the rules more than a firewall necessarily. At a high level, you're exactly right. And the model that it uses is not a little different than a standard configuration system would. And monitoring that in real time and its responses in real time perhaps are what differ from that. But let me walk a bit through detail on a day in the life so you can get a, a, a deeper sense of it. You turn the system on and it triggers our position and the hypervisor just starts watching and sees what's running on all the various machines. It's going to see processes, operating systems, it'll see certain communications activities that are running on these machines and it needs to make sense of it. So the system, it hooks deep into vCenter. So it does have a full inventory of all these machines, but again, that's just a list of machines. It needs to then make sense of it. There's a variety of techniques that we use. They don't all need to be used. It depends what a customer has that starts to make sense of it. One is integrations with provisioning systems, Puppet, Chef, vRealize. These are systems that are used to set up those machines. And all of a sudden we have some information about the fact that hey, that machine over there is actually part of this service tier of this application. It's actually uh, supposed to run Windows version X or Y or Linux version X or Y. Another thing we can tap into is application automation frameworks, Ansible, Maven, Jenkins. Our integration with this allows us to then correlate that again with that information, which we can now see the packages that were deployed on those systems. So now we see some of the processes that are supposed to be there. We hook Wait, so into, you're able to pull like, kind of the, the role and the config and whatnot from other 
third-party software that you know the config managers of the world that you're talking about and the automation frameworks you're talking about to help declare the desired state for the application or the or exactly maybe the server? right okay exactly right and as we start to move into a world of more devops and more the growing use of automation frameworks it's fantastic because it embeds knowledge from the application team that security we have not been using but it's very rich in helping us understand what this thing was supposed to be and yeah, we're connecting cool. the dots <laughs> So here's another thing we do. We hook into one of the largest repositories in the world of process reputational feeds. For any off-the-shelf software, for any commercial software, we can then say, look, and I see these processes running on these machines. That allows us to correlate and say, ah, that actually is part of Microsoft Exchange version X, et cetera. And so um, that's another thing that helps us paint the picture. We're also been developing a variety of machine learning techniques to do things like compare different machines in the environment to be able to compare against sort of repositories of software. And there's some work afoot to be able to compare that of what we see across the customer base as well. The purpose of all of this is to flip the view so that the customer can see applications, regulatory scopes divided into service tiers, divided into machines, the operating systems that are supposed to be on those machines, the processes on those machines, and the process communication behaviors, the fact that you know, this machine, which is part of the app tier of our trading system, has a Python process triggered this way, which communicates to that service tier. And we are able to paint that picture and pre-validate a significant portion of it. And there may be some portions of it which we, we can guess, but we can't fully vet out. So that the last stage is the security team sometimes working with the application team to say, I bless these remaining items. And that creates the manifest, the birth certificate, if you will, not only for the application, but for each machine that makes up that application. There are parallels there in what you're saying that reminds me of uh, container registries and container image security and the golden image, you know, preserving. It's a lot of what you're describing reminds me of those ideas. 100%. You know, uh, the container world is a beautiful model for this because you already have these manifests. It actually is a much easier way for us to take and run with. A lot of the stuff that I've described so far, we have to do because in a legacy world, we don't have as declarative uh, a structure as you do in the container world. But you're exactly right. It, the principles there are exactly the same. And the goal is to be able to have a declarative statement about what these things are supposed to be. The reality is, all of the virtual machines out there running, they're general purpose computers. They can do a million things, but the application components on them only do about 50. They run certain processes and a handful of them communicate is just a, a small range of things. And when an attacker gets in to rootkit the operating system, to do command and control, to do lateral movement, all of these things, they will differ from what that application was intended to do. When AppDefense caught some of the ransomware strains, it was not because it understood ransomware, it didn't. It's because that ransomware at some point is not doing what the application that was on there does. Hmm. You know, the ability to understand 50 things well turns out to be actually a pretty effective model versus let me understand 30 million things that are changing every day. It's a very powerful model in that sense. How are you doing partnering for App Defense, Tom? Because as I'm thinking about this, you guys partner with a lot of folks at VMware, and 
you're swinging a big security stick all of a sudden, and I could see you really stepping on some of your partner's toes. So do you see app defenses competing with some of those partners or, or coexisting or? The vast majority, in fact, I, I have yet to come in any significant security player for which this actually isn't a net benefit to. You know, some of it is what I just described, that context of how this machine relates to the application and the service tier represents the ability to share that with the security vendors so that when they're looking at analyzing a machine, they know what it was intended to be and what it's part of. That's huge. Knowing that I'm seeing odd behavior for this, but I can tell you in advance that machine was supposed to be SQL Server running on Windows 2016. It was actually part of the mortgage system. Uh, that's part of the database tier. These are the communication paths that are normal. To then say, all right, well, then I don't have to do a bunch of high-level generic analytics. I can go straight and get pretty granular and pre-configure what analytics I actually look for. The, the picture is broader. So all I've described so far in AppDefense is how does it come out with its intended state, right? The detection part of it is we place that manifest in a protected place in the hypervisor. And then we have a system that monitors, a process that monitors what's running against the manifest. And by the way, you patch your system, you upgrade some software. We actually do factor that into the cycle, right? So that we distinguish between upgrade events versus pure anomalies. But our ability with very little overhead to immediately in real time identify that someone is manipulating the operating system, introducing new processes, modifying processes, so they're communicating to different things. Those are sort of instantaneous. And then the last part of the product is we built a library of incident response routines that use the virtual infrastructure. Some of those use ESX, so uh, uh, snapshot the machine, the memory, or uh, uh, you know, suspend the machine, kill a process. Some of them can leverage NSX, quarantine the system, insert full packet capture, you know, insert another security control. So there's a, a wide variety of remediation options. To your question about partners, we are solving a problem of creating a least privilege environment for that application, creating a least privilege compute stack right? So that we allow the application to do anything it was intended to do, but immediately understand when it's doing something it didn't intend to do and can respond to that. That reduces the attack surface and creates a much stronger signal to noise for the security team. For the security products on the other side, the security controls, they benefit from the context of the application and what things were supposed to be they too can leverage these automated remediation routines, right? They may be able to do certain enforcement types, but now they have a very simple way of saying, hey, AppDefense, could you get the virtual infrastructure to quarantine this for me? Could you have the virtual infrastructure to snapshot those machines for me? Could you have my sensor inserted in all of these places dynamically? Because yeah. I, you know, I can't do full packet capture everywhere all the time. But, hey, I really do want to do that when I start seeing someone manipulate one of my critical systems. Hearing the question that, that Ethan brings up as well as your answer, Tom, and it, me, just my own fly-on-the-wall kind of thought around this is it, it feels like it kind of opens up the ecosystem more than crowds people out, kind of similar to 
uh, when the vSphere APIs for IO filtering came out. It was kind of a boon saying, here's an approved, blessed API that you can plug into to look at the IO stream. Something similar is this is a way that you can very easily become part of the process to provide actual security, understand the the personality of the server and the workload, and be part of the solution rather than yet another you know host-based or hardware-based agent trying to plug its way into the server. And like I said, if I'm a domain administrator or whatever, I could probably just kill that off anyways. So it's, it's it is a bit security theater. Just just some thoughts there as you were as you were laying down the information. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. What we have done you know, with NSX, it did open up the door for network security components to have an easier time of being deployed inside on east-west traffic because they could be aligned around application boundaries, etc. App Defense now I think opens the door for a lot of endpoint security and a lot of the security analytics and security information and event management systems, and even the MSSPs, you'll start to see them being able to do things they simply couldn't do before. We do solve two complementary problems, right? There is, there's a part of security that's really about hygiene and about shrinking the attack surface, compartmentalize, least privilege, encrypt, those kinds of things are about shrinking the attack surface. And those are things that we'll be focused on doing and making it simple to do and do it around applications. There's a whole part that's about dealing with the residual risk, the threats and the attacks that can evade that smaller attack surface. And that's where the ecosystem of security controls, and like we were just saying, these things can make each other better because they can share context because the infrastructure could now be used as an enforcement point. And those two things together, that's a very, very, very powerful combination. So as I've listened to you describe this, I could put my cynic hat on and go, wait a minute. Okay, the app defense integration with other parts of your security ecosystem, that's pretty cool. But really, if I take a step back, it's just fancy whitelisting. Am I wrong in that? Is that a, a myth you'd like to bust perhaps? Well, so application control and application whitelisting is, the concept is not new, but traditionally the challenge has been more sort of process whitelisting, right? It's uh, here is a list of, uh, you know, a million or 10 million processes that we've checked that we know are good. And if it's not that, then, then it's bad. It turns out that model is actually very challenging because it can be very brittle, there's a very dynamic environment. Things are spawning, processes are spawning other things. Once you start to think about it, not generically, like these are processes that software can do, but rather think about it in terms of an application, which is not just software on a machine. It's a bunch of things networked together and how these components communicate with each other. You end up with a model that is much more specific and much less brittle. As an example, the Apache server that's part of the trading system in a bank, it might have 50 or 60 processes running on that machine with a particular operating system, but a very small set of those processes ever communicate and only communicate to very, very specific things or service tiers of the same application. It gets a bit more specific and you're not looking for something against millions of things. You're looking for a higher level set of smaller set of primitives. It's less brittle, it's much more accurate, it stays consistent, and it's a much better context. Secondly, this opportunity to remediate in a much richer sense, not just block 
but to be able to to have a, a full regimen, everything ranging from give me more visibility right now to I need to go into DEFCON 1 and, and shut down some things on my critical applications. It's a much richer set of being able to orchestrate response. And then lastly, you know, the ability to do this from a protected position and not have a lot of the burden of managing agents, that's a big deal. So I think this opens up the door for a, uh, it, it's more than just uh, putting a, a wrapper around application whitelisting. It's really a very, very new model. And one of our first partners that we launched a joint solution with is Carbon Black, who's actually one of the early innovators in an application whitelisting. You might recall uh, Bit9, and they were really one of the innovators in those areas. And you know, they saw right away that some of the things that we're doing in on that side really move the ball forward pretty tremendously. And they, in turn, were doing some tremendous work on the EDR front, the endpoint detection and response, the behavioral side. And the ability for us to solve two complementary problems and for us to give them context of the application and to be able to enable them to leverage us for richer remediation was a, a really great match. It's a good proof point that these things really are, they've come a long way. And it's, I think, a, a very powerful new model in aligning security to the applications and the application teams and being able to stay in sync. These things get patched, they get upgraded, they get updated. And the ability to stay in sync with that is, I think, what moves us into this domain of secure DevOps, security that can stay relevant and have relevant context and actions, even as these applications rapidly change. Now, Ethan, my takeaway is that the idea of sampling the configuration of servers and their running applications and whatever's going on under the covers in such a way that draws both from a body of knowledge from other environments, you know, how they're configuring things and what they've done to make them operate and, and perform and be secure, along with third-party software stacks. We talked about Puppet, V-Realize Automation, Maven, et cetera, all those, all those things that kind of control and do infrastructure as code. That makes for a really strong position to figure out the quote-unquote known good state of your processes and services, especially if you're trying to make them match that known good state through something like VMware App Defense. What's on your mind? Oh, I, I love exactly what you're saying, that known good state, because if you have a known good state, which used to be used to be you, you were asked to build some firewalls and you'd go to the application person or the developer and go, what port should I open or who is this supposed to be able to talk to? They'd be like, I don't know. Well, now you have a way to know that and what that known good state is. Therefore, we're in this great position where you don't have to detect bad. You just have to detect not good because you know it is good. So if something else is happening, it's not good. It doesn't really matter what it is anymore. One more takeaway here is that an app isn't a single instance on a single host. So if you're thinking about things from the concept of there's this endpoint, this host with this app living on it, and that's the thing that I have to protect. Yeah, but that's not what an application is anymore. And Tom made that point. An application is really this complex set of networked processes, and you must think about it that way and protect it in that context. If you don't view and protect it that way because you're thinking old school, you're doing it wrong. You've got to broaden your view now about how to properly protect an application, and it takes a complex security product to allow you to do that.
So, Tom, we have, I feel like, a much better idea as to where VMware's at in the whole security ecosystem, as well as a much deeper understanding of app defense. One thing I was curious, and maybe we'll dive deeper into, you know, what's life like after you've deployed it and, and, and are busy operating it. You know, I have things that aren't necessarily in my data center that maybe aren't necessarily just on my VMware hypervisors, you know, cloud, containers, other encrypted environments. Where does App Defense join me in that particular world or that subset of worlds? Yeah, so the solution that we have on the market today, it does operate on vSphere. So this is really for vSphere environments. The feedback that we got very quickly from a lot of customers was, this is great. I mean, I actually have, you know, if I had to pick one thing that I have the most of, that's probably the thing. But as you point out, I have uh, clouds. Um, I may have other hypervisors that I'm using. I may have bare metal, right? You know, think of my critical applications. I might have a, a database running on bare metal. And so what we quickly started to design was some technology that it would extend this to be able to create sort of Windows and Linux kernel drivers that could extend this to bare metal scenarios, that could extend this to native cloud scenarios. Now, in that case, we have to protect it in the same manner that we, you know, uh, uh, an endpoint security company protects their agents. We can't leverage the hypervisor. There may not be one there. But we can bring the same consistent sort of visibility, control, et cetera, and model to a much broader set of endpoints. We're also building this into our VMC on AWS. That's our the work that we're doing with VMware, the entire VMware stack on AWS. We have similar works going on into other clouds that are doing sort of infrastructure as a service using this stack. And you'll start to see some things from us, both directly and with partners, to extend this to the container environment. So you know, very quickly, you'll see this model extend to a broad range of environments. There may be some unique things that we can bring to the table, just owning the hypervisor itself, but the model translates very well across all of those environments, and you'll be able to do that over the course of this year. That's fair, and I remember I was reviewing the architecture for AppDefense, and I was just looking at kind of the Keystone Manager component, AppDefense Manager. It's all for an on-premises deployment as an you know appliance running as an OVF, as well as potentially putting the configuration policy sync up to a cloud deployment. So I, since it's an OVF, I guess you could put it anywhere anyways. So it, you could put the management or the you know that plane outside of the, the four walls that are actually executing the, the actual data plane operations and the logic as well. That's good to know. How far away was the VMware on AWS support for AppDefense? So you'll see it this year. A lot of the work that's happening now actually doesn't relate to the core technology. It relates to you know, automated install, automated configuration, automated billing. It's a lot of those backend pieces that are, are still being built up. The, the functionality is there. You could actually use the product, but it's just the integration with all the AWS levers and gears that are holding that process up. Yeah, I mean, the philosophy on a lot of what we're doing on VMC at and AWS is really take things to the next level in terms of making it really simple. You're spinning up a data center as opposed to spinning up machines and spinning up networks and spinning up components. So making this simple, making this just install effortlessly, making this bill as part of the larger things, 
Yeah, you know, painting a house, it's always that last, uh, all the nooks and corners that actually take a fair bit of time <laughs> as you finish that up. But you'll see that later this year. Absolutely. Some practical questions for you, Tom, maybe from a, from an operations perspective. One is this. So if I'm running AppDefense, the way you describe it, it sounds like there's got to be some kind of impact to my host CPU. It is there? And, and can I control how much CPU gets used by AppDefense? Yeah. So first of all, the the core uh, the, the core mechanism, just monitoring what's running against this, takes like zero point one percent of CPU. It's incredibly efficient because we're really just leveraging a lot of mechanisms that are already there and already happening for it. We can do other things and trigger analysis of processes that have done some anomalous behavior, and then dive deeper and look at what that process is capable of doing, et cetera. Those types of things can use more, but those aren't things that are by default running all the time. And yes, those can be capped. But by and large, the beauty of the model is it's incredibly efficient because it's really doing very little. I answer the same question on the distributed firewall front. People ask, you know, what's the performance on the distributed firewall? Well, it's pretty high. The overhead is relatively low because you know, in some sense, these things are doing an IP lookup table. It's, you know, should these things connect and, and let it go? Those things can be done very, very fast. And we're leveraging things that are already happening in the hypervisor. Well, it's just with with the extent of the things that app defense can do and the different systems it can interact with, you could have told me I have to dedicate a core to it. And I, I wouldn't have been, I would have been bummed out, but, but I wouldn't have been shocked. You know, in, in this case, you're actually saying the opposite. It's so efficient that you're in, for the most part, you're not really going to notice that it's um, using much CPU at all. Well, exactly right. And again, think of the shift in model from a traditional antivirus where you're comparing what's running against millions of potential strains of malware, as opposed to I'm comparing what's running to the 40 things that should be running. It's a much more efficient model, particularly since there's a mechanism already there that is monitoring those components for other purposes. And it allows us to piggyback on a lot of those and have an incredibly efficient model. Yeah, I remember getting those questions all the time with NSX about overhead and load and and, and like, you know, you, you know that Nick has things you can offload to as well. Not everything has to be done in software, you know, in user space or kernel space. So, so many good memories. Uh, <laughs> changing topics just slightly. What about, it's fairly easy to do day one operations. I have a known set of applications. I apply policy to them. That's great. What about day two? I have new applications that are coming in. I need to profile them. You know, kind of how do I continue to operate as I adjust to the dynamic nature of the data center in the cloud. Yeah. So maybe let's take two, a couple of scenarios. One is you're yeah. rolling out some new application. And another is we're making changes to applications, right? Those might be two good ways of sort of examining that question. So on the first one, and, and actually, let me give you a very personal scenario. When we were finishing up AppDefense, right, we went through a two-month security review, both internal and external auditing it. And a lot of that, I mean, there's a bunch of pieces that relate to that, but a meaningful chunk of that is is the security team and the security architects getting their arms around, how are we going to protect this thing when it's in production? And they did a lot of reviewing the architecture and the components and how does this thing communicate, et cetera. All right. So we put it into production. Now we're doing an incredibly agile development process here. 
we're actually coming out with new capabilities every Tuesday. We actually do a release uh, almost on a weekly basis. We have major releases once a quarter, but we actually have new capabilities almost a regular basis. I can't do VMware patch Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, but this is not patch. This is actually functionality. So new code uh, Tuesday. Got it. Now, in this model, and the whole world is going to this model, right? I mean, we're starting to move increasingly to this much more agile world. In the cloud, that's the way you function. Well, I can't do a two-month security review every Tuesday. And so what's going to happen? One of two things are going to happen. <laughs> really, only realistically, one thing is going to happen. The security team is going to know and understand, hopefully, what originally that application did, but not what it does today because it kept evolving and it's too hard to keep those groups in sync. In this model, something that's rolling out that's new hooks into that whole process and the security team has almost in real time a view of those components and how those components fit together. So many of the things that I was spending time walking the security team through would just be immediately present out of the system, just pulling from provisioning systems, automation systems, et cetera. So you have a much more fluid process for how I would roll something out new. And in fact, one of our early customers within probably the first couple of months had 13 applications being monitored on this. I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial when you think of a new technology and a new approach, right? Now, when an application changes, this happens all the time, you patch things, et cetera. There are a few things that can automatically categorize that change as an upgrade event. If any automation is being used, you know, you you provision that change through Puppet as an example, we'll immediately see that. If it's like a willful change, we we know it happened because we saw it. Yeah. Uh, Another example is, you know, this is off-the-shelf software. You've the checks that we do with our process reputational feeds will tell us actually that is just a you know, one version or two versions later of the same software that you had there before, and it actually checks out as legitimate software, right? That would enable us to create and generate what would be an update event, which is handled and would be handled, obviously, in a very different way. Now, let's imagine a scenario where someone in the application team, let's do the other extreme, decides to log on to a machine and run a Python script to go do some things, they've circumvented any of that process, et cetera. The system would pick that up. What we've heard from security teams is, I mean, we're talking about mission critical systems. I actually really do want to know that. And in fact, one of the things that we started to build, in fact, we demonstrated a working prototype of that at VMworld, this last VMworld, was we've been building a mobile companion app for the application team folks to have on their phones, on their Android or iPhones. Uh, In the App Defense console, the security teams can actually designate owners or contacts for applications and regulatory scopes. And they have the ability to, say, communicate to app owner from within the App Defense scope. That shows up on the mobile phone. So the scenarios of that would be hey guys, we see something being manipulated in this app. We see a bunch of new processing. Some Python scripts started running in the Apache server of our trading system. Before I go do something, uh, can you make sense of any of this? And the response on the iPhone, because there's a series of easy responses or they can type things back is, all right, I see the process. Thank you for showing that. That's my bad, guys. That's not a security incident. I'm running that Uh Python script to do this thing. The answer could be from them. I have no idea what this is, but please, 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 if you're going to do something, could you not like 
quarantine this on the network? Like this application is highly sensitive to that. Could you take another action? The idea is to create real collaboration between the application owners and the security team in a way that really hasn't existed. We've really been more used to aligning security teams and infrastructure teams. And that's powerful, that's important, but so is the application teams. They understand the application better than anybody. And allowing that to collaborate by first tapping into the knowledge they have, it's already codified and provisioning and automation frameworks, but then in real time, that's a really powerful new model that I think opens up this door to secure DevOps in a way that I think could be very, very, very powerful. Well, okay. I think we've reached the end of this particular show. So first off, Tom, I want to thank you very much for being on. I, I've learned quite a bit and it's always fun to pick the brain of someone who's, who's very deeply embedded with the product. For those that are just interested, they hear about VMware App Defense, they want to know more, go deeper. Where can they learn more about the topic? Yeah, sure. So on, first, a lot of resources on our website. Uh, actually, if you just do Google VMware App Defense, you'll actually uh, get some links directly to our website. There's a bunch of things on there. We also put a bunch of videos on YouTube, including at VMworld, we did a pretty in-depth product demo that really gets into the nuts and bolts. And if you search on YouTube for VMware app events, you'll see a variety of, uh, of videos, including the one, our keynote from VMworld, the launch. So a lot of rich information out there. Got it. Yeah, I can I can thumbs that up. I did as part of researching the show. Check those out, so I can offer a uh, a audible thumbs up to those listening to the show that they are definitely worthy of your time. And with that, that's it for today's edition of the Data Knots podcast. A very special thanks goes out to VMware for sponsoring the Data Knots today. Because without sponsors, we can't do what we do. If you want to reach me, I'm at Chris Wall on the Twitter, and my blog is wallnetwork.com. Ethan is at EC Banks on Twitter, and he writes all over the web, just a Google search away. For more of our Data Knots shows about infrastructure engineering, spend some time at packetpushers.net. You'll find the Data Knots talking everything infrastructure. But until then, my friends, may your server lights blink, your apps offer a tiny attack service, and your cables be cleanly managed. Title you use publicly, or is that kind of a secret? <laughs> <That's great>. <laughs> <laughs>